Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I invite you to take your Bibles this evening and turn with me to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3. I want us to consider the health of the church, entitled this Spiritual Bodybuilding. No, we're not selling supplements. I was asked that. I thought of photoshopping my face on a bodybuilder, and my wife said, no, that's not a good idea, wisely. <laughs> but what are the characteristics of a healthy body? When we think in the physical realm, what are the, the characteristics? We say, well, that's, that's somebody who's healthy. I mean, at, at a very basic level, things work like they should. You know, as we, we get old, we hope that happens. You know, when you can throw out your back sneezing or getting out of bed. And we want things to work. When our children are young, we want to see growth. We want to see development. We, we want to see strengthening muscles. So what are the characteristics of a healthy spiritual body? I mean, first question is probably, what is the spiritual body? And we're really speaking of the church. And I want us to consider this. Uh, when I was asked to candidate and right before we voted as a church family on my being the pastor, I asked the church, after having been asked about 175 questions, I asked the church seven questions. And the fourth of those was, the fourth question that I asked was, will you aim to be equipped to minister in the local church by faithful attendance and serving to advance the cause of Christ? This really goes to the, the aspect of a healthy church, that we're striving to serve, that we're, we're being equipped to minister and we're being found faithful. And what I want us to consider this evening is that a healthy church is essential to accomplish God's purpose in your life and in the world. One of my desires as a church is that we would have a, a strong, healthy home base that we can send forth laborers into the harvest, that we will be supporting them by prayer and then also financially. And we really find the importance of this here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you'll look with me at verse 14. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. Paul's writing to his son in the faith and says, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. What we find in these verses is that God cares about church conduct. There are several reasons for his concern, but I'd like us to consider three this evening from this passage. God cares about church conduct because the church is God's family. It promotes spiritual life and it's to support and defend the truth. The first thing we see in this passage, though, is that the church is God's family. It, it, it refers to the house of God. Christ said, I will build my church. And we can encourage it, we can nourish it, but we're not to engineer it. We're to seek His will, 
He's the architect. We're the laborers. We're, we're the team that is helping advance the cause of Christ. And it's dangerous because we can easily slip into what is popular and cultural, even cultural Christianity, rather than asking, are we being Christ-centered? And that has to be our focus. We see as well that the, the church is God's house. Now, now, I don't know what comes to your mind when we hear house of God. For some reason, I, I have this mental picture of a stern elderly woman pointing her finger at a little boy and saying, don't run in God's house. I'm not sure why I have that picture. It must be some repressed memory somewhere along the line. Now, we, we teach our children respect for property, consideration of others. And, and, and I get concerned when I kids run, see kids running, not because of them running, but we have folks that have mobility needs with canes and, and walkers and things like that. And I, thought, I want us to be careful. But that's an issue of consideration, of loving your neighbor as yourself. Not an issue that somehow there's a decreased level of holiness that if the movement is quick, or that there's an increase because there's the word church on a building. That when I see kids running, I I'm, I'm, want us to teach a stewardship more than being concerned that somehow God is upset by adolescent energy. I don't think that's the case. The Greek word for house here could refer to a structure. In fact, we find it used that way if you want to look across the page or over a page in, in chapter 5, verse 13. It says that, and besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house. And not only idle, but gossips, busybodies, and saying things they ought not. Now, it, it's speaking of structures there, but even in the context, the focus is not on the building, it's on the activity. It's really a, a rebuke to, to the women, the young widows is the context, who, who have too much time on their hands. And they're going from house to house, gossiping and being busybodies and stirring up trouble. It's, you know, they didn't have the opportunities to text and, and do it on social media. But they had too much time. And so the emphasis, even though it's speaking of house to house, was on the activity. When we read the house of God, the emphasis is on the people. It's on the dwelling place. So understanding this phrase, it's really speaking of the local church as the family of God. And what we see is that our church provides a model for the work God is doing in creating a spiritual family. That Tri-City Baptist Church ought to be a little taste of heaven. Now, we're, we're still tr struggling. None of us are in our glorified bodies and we battle sin. So there are problems, but we ought to be growing in sanctification. And one of the ways that happens is by being together. We find that in Ephesians, which really deals with the doctrine of the church. After three, three chapters of doctrine of what God is doing in the church to be glorified in the church, it then moves to getting along with one another in chapter 4. It doesn't talk about our personal prayer life, our personal devotional life, you know, how we're doing it witnessing. It says that we're to dwell with the brethren and to show that patience. So we, we see that model taking place and the importance of that in a spiritual family. So, so back in chapter 3, the qualification for a pastor in verses 4 and 5, one who rules well his own house. 
having his children in submission with all reverence. If a man does not rule, know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? And then in verse 12, concerning deacons, the husband of one wife ruling their children in their own houses well. So this word of house is speaking of the family, the idea of family. When, when our kids were young, there, there were family expectations that we had. And there were things that we wouldn't let them do. Words we wouldn't let them say or places we wouldn't let them go or programs we wouldn't let them watch even if their Christian friends were doing it. And we didn't judge the others, but we just said, no, we're not doing that in our family. We don't use that phrase in our family. We're not using that word. We're not watching that program. That's our family. The goal was not external conformity, but the internalization of family standards and expectations and convictions. Do you think God might have expectations for his kids? We have a whole book of who he is for our words and attitudes and actions in his family. He expects his children to be different than the devil's kids. And and there are multiple levels. What we read in 1 Thessalonians this morning that the will of God, your sanctification, to abstain from sexual immorality and not live in the passion of lust like the Gentiles, the unsaved. That in Ephesians 4.17, that you not walk like the rest of the Gentiles walk. Put off concerning the former conduct and, and, and the deceitful lust. We see that in, in 1 John 3.10, it says, In this the children of God are, and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. There ought to be love for the family. That's a characteristic of God's kids. And so we we see that that God's plan is that His glory and wisdom would be displayed in the body, the church. In fact, we see that in Ephesians 3, verses 8 and following, that, that it says principalities and powers in the heavenlies will observe what's going on in the church. That we have a testimony of God's greatness that is really out of this world. The angelic beings see what God is doing. And and I love the fact, and I've said this before, I love that Tri-City is multi-generational, multicultural, multi-ethnic as a body. From every tribe, tongue, people, group, and nation. When we we did the survey back in, in August, and people were born in 17 different countries, raised in 20 countries, ancestry traced to 60 countries and three Native American tribes, and our people can communicate in 23 languages. What a unique picture of the body of Christ. And to have a little bit of that aspect of heaven here. And understanding that it's God's house. So that on a personal level, your behavior as part of God's family should honor the heavenly father. You know, we, we, we've said at times in different contexts, you know, that we have expectations in our home. Our house, our rules. Well, God has expectations. God's house God's rules, that you will know how to behave in the house of God. And so we have a responsibility to edify one another, not tear down. So we we see the first reason is that the church is God's family. The second one is the church promotes spiritual life. It's the church of the living God. 
Now, now the word church, the Greek word ekklesia, refers to an assembly of, of, of people, God's people. It, you know, the etymology called out, and there's an aspect of that that I think is accurate, but it really, the emphasis on, is on a group gathered. That, that ekklesia, the Greek word, spoke of an assembly of God's people gathered. And that really is the very nature of the church. It's not the building, it's the body. And you see that pattern through Scripture when the church was established in Acts chapter 2. It says in, in verse 41, those who gladly received his word, that is they had trusted in Jesus as the Messiah, that's the context there, were baptized and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. They got together. They fellowshiped. In Hebrews 10, verse 24, it says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and even more so, so much the more, as you see the day approaching. Isn't it interesting that when that was written and the Holy Spirit knew that we would have the pleasure and the opportunities of live stream and computers and everything, but he still directed to gather and even more so as we get close to the end. Now, it's interesting because we're looking at the church, but, but when this letter was written to Timothy, Timothy was pastoring in Ephesus. We see that back in chapter 1, verse 3. He says, remain in Ephesus. He left him there to, to do the instruction. But he writes to him and says, it's the church of the living God. And that was a significant statement. That doesn't necessarily mean a lot to us because we, we know that we serve a risen Savior. But Ephesus was not in the Bible belt. There, there was not a real openness to the gospel. In fact, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple of Artemis, also known by the Roman name of Diana, was there in Ephesus. This is a model of what that would, would have looked like. It took 200 years to build that temple. It was shining marble. It, the base was 420 feet by 240 feet, and it had 127 marble pillars. It was the most prominent landmark in the city. And while the temple was impressive, the statue of the idol Artemis was grotesque. As the goddess of fertility, the worship associated with Artemis was vile. There were thousands of priests and priestesses that were involved in, in the service of Diana, and, and much of their service was dedicated to prostitution. So immoral acts were looked upon as sacred in Ephesus. But if you were to go into that temple, there would be this statue of Diana, Artemis, and there was no life. It was a dead, lifeless goddess. Now, I saw more modern examples of this when we were in Singapore and Hong Kong last summer to go into and, and see the Buddhist shrines. And, and I was struck by how many dishes were laid out. And in the, the picture on the left, you see candles, and behind those are dishes with, with goodies and fruit and lining these gods, and they're leaving all of this food. And you know, I, I went through many places, and in, we saw it both in Hong Kong, we saw it in Singapore, we just saw different temples and shrines, and I would see food, and you know, there wasn't a bite taken out of any of it. 
You know, for the size of Buddha, you would think, this guy can put away the food. (laughs) And he didn't eat any of it. You know, why was that? Because just like the stone statue of Diana and of Buddha and other gods, they're dead. There is no life. There's no life in them. And what Paul is pointing out, we serve a living God. The church is the place where God is personally active. He's alive. And so our church ought to strive to promote spiritual growth and victory in the lives of others. That one of our responsibilities as we come together is to encourage others. And spiritual life is demonstrated in a heartfelt commitment to worship and the vitality of our fellowship. That's really why we need to come together. The importance of fellowship is is that we come together to encourage through our congregational singing, to be part of a, a group and a group that is advancing the cause of Christ, that we strive to bring Him glory in the church and that there's an enthusiastic input. Now, we have to be careful that we don't, don't confuse spirited with spiritual. But there ought to be life in our worship. There ought to be that joy. And then in our own personal actions and attitudes, we need to display a, a persistent spiritual development. That we come to encourage one another to love and good works. To help others in the family to be godly. You know, if we don't come to assemble If we don't use our spiritual gifts, we're really not doing the purpose of the church. And we don't all have the same gifts. But we ought to be part of the body. Christ said, I will build my church, not my college. We're emphasizing IBCS today, but it's a ministry of a local church. Christ said, I'll build my church, not my Christian school, not my preschool, not even my mission board. And so we see the prominence of the local church in what God is doing and and recognizing how important that is and and the expectation that we gather together. If we're not striving to be part of the body and promote the unity of the Spirit, the stability and the maturity by, by coming together, how are we any different than those who go to the Buddhist temple? Is it just ritual? We have to be very careful that we don't fall into a ritualistic religion. You know, one of the reasons we postponed our business meeting was because of the, the funeral for my uncle. And it, it was a, a wonderful opportunity of sharing the gospel. I had an opportunity when I knew my uncle was ill. He had been sick for a little while. It went fairly quickly. Uh, but I'd gotten a text on Wednesday that he was not doing well and hospice was there and they didn't expect him to make it very long. And I had texted back, I texted my sister who was talking to the caregiver. And I said, look, I, w- I want to talk to my uncle again. When can I call him? And they said, well, he's sleeping now. So later that afternoon, I got a, phone, a, a text that he's awake. This is a good time to call. So I called him. My uncle had grown up in, in a Roman Catholic church. He had been involved in that. Years ago, my dad had had a great chance to give him the gospel. He had indicated he had trusted Christ as a Savior. We had had some good conversations, but there was still that question mark. And so we had been talking about this. And so in the process of that, I, I called him and I, I, I said, Uncle Arnie, I, I just, you know, I, I just want to talk with you. I, we've been praying for you. And I went through the gospel. And, and he said, I believe all of that. 
I said, well, it's, it's not in your good works. It's not in the church. The church doesn't save you, your good works. He says, I know that. He said, I'm trusting in Christ. And I started to quote John 3.16. He said, that is my favorite verse. And so I walked through that and, and talked with him. And, and, and then I said, Uncle Arnie, can I pray with you? And he said, of course. And so I prayed, and then I gave him the gospel. I'm giving the gospel as I'm praying. And he's agreeing with it as I'm praying. And I thought, you know, I, that's all I can hold on to. Everything that it takes to trust Christ, he's acknowledged. And so they'd asked if I would speak at the funeral. Uh, they'd asked if my brother-in-law, who Rick Cross, who many of you know, pastored in Longmont, Colorado for many years, would speak. And then, then Christopher, our son. And so as we're getting ready for this, I'm texting my sister who's at my aunt's house. And we're, we were in Maine, they were in New Hampshire. And I said, so who's, who's overseeing? Who's presiding? They said, nobody. So, so we just kind of pull it together. I said, okay, we can do that. And then, then she sends me a text the night before the funeral and says, oh, by the way, Father Dick is going to show up. I said, okay, this was not in the plan. <laughs> it's at the funeral home. And so we, we said, okay, well, we'll try to figure out. And, and so, you know, he showed up probably less than 10 minutes before the funeral. Walked in and said, well, I have the service. He said, but I was told one family member will, will speak at the beginning and two others will speak at the end. And he said, I can't stay, so I'll just do my part and I'll leave. I said, we've got this. I said, I'll take the beginning and then have Christopher and then Rick. And, he, and we'd ask Rick to just give the gospel. And so I, I shared with them what my uncle had done, what we had talked about, my phone call, went through the gospel, went through all of it. And, and the priest got up and he said, you know, I never met him. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. <laughs> He's lived in this town for over 40 years. And you don't know him? And what I realized was, there's no family. We as a church are a family. And, and if we don't think that way, we really are falling into the ritualistic. Do we serve a risen, living Savior? That we have a responsibility to invest to be involved, to serve one another because we are part of the church of the living God. And it really was a wonderful service because as the, I gave the gospel at the beginning, the, the priest did his part and he really read a lot of scripture. And then Christopher got up and just shared a testimony and he mentioned, Christopher said, well, you know, uh, the Father Dick quoted from Psalm 103, but he didn't quote this verse. Let me quote this verse. And he said, as far as the east is from your, the west, oh, your sins are separated from you. And he gave the gospel. And then my brother-in-law gave a very clear gospel message. But I thought the three people who had part in the service who actually knew the person who was dead had a personal relationship and could also point to the Lord. And how important it is that we see that. We, we are the church of the living God. We are a family. But the third thing that we see is the church supports and defends the truth. The pillar and ground of the church, of the truth. The church is indispensable in the role of upholding the truth. Now, Jesus Christ is the sure foundation. He's the chief cornerstone, the, the one that the builders rejected. The pillar rests on Christ. But the church plays an indispensable role in upholding the truth. We have that responsibility. It is our obligation to teach right doctrine. And that's why we encourage you, I give you the verses, I encourage you to bring your Bibles to look it up because you need to examine what's preached from this pulpit. Is it what the Bible says? 
That's, that's our responsibility. But do we understand what we have to be doing in this culture today? I mean, we have to be making it clear that man is made in the image of God. That humans are made in the image of God. Male and female created he them. And those are the only two options. And we can't back away because our world is coming after that. And I believe it's because it's the image of God in humanity. We have to promote God-honoring marriages with husbands who love their wives as Christ loved the church and wives who reverence their husbands. And so we had a marriage conference because we have to be promoting this. And we dare not get distracted by the trivial. We have to stand for righteousness. We have to recognize this. See, the church has the opportunity and the obligation to advance the cause of Christ to those within our realm of contact. Recognize the priority of the church and God's plan. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, it says, the church of the firstborn. That speaks of priority. It's priority of place, not time. Because we, we know there was much going on in the Old Testament before the church, the mystery, was revealed in the New Testament. But it's a place of priority. Firstborn in the Old Testament had the responsibility in the family. There was an increased responsibility. There was also an increased inheritance. And as the church of the firstborn, we hold the highest place among the host of saved in all ages, past and future. And this will be manifest in the millennial kingdom. And the eternal phases of the kingdom of God. The church is destined to be co-regents with Christ in his kingdom. 2 Timothy 2.12 If we endure, we shall reign with him. Revelation 3.21 Written to the church at Laodicea To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also came, overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Or as Ephesians 2 says, the doctrine of the church, in verse 6, and raised us together and made us to sit in the heavenly places in Christ that in the ages to come he might show his exceeding riches of his grace and the kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That we will reign with him. So Tri-City Baptist Church is here at this time in history for a purpose. And that purpose is to advance the cause of Christ. That he will receive glory in the church. And we are that body. That we would show forth that we are a representative of the body of Christ. A local representative. And so faith today needs to impact others. You know, one of the sad things that we see across our country is faith today impacts the culture less. And the culture impacts and influences the church more. And we might want to say, well, that's not the case, but which really has functional control in our decision-making? And which has control in our church? We can't just stick our finger in the wind and say, what does the culture want? We have to look into God's Word and say, what does the head of the body want? Because it's His church. And we understand that. And then your conduct and commitment should strengthen and support and display the truth. Now, bottom line, the church designed the, or God designed the church to be the context in which we grow in sanctification, where we move from sinfulness to holiness. 
that it's that coming together. It's encouraging one another to, to love and good works. It's rebuking where rebuke is needed. It's consoling where that consolation is needed. And I find it interesting that the instructions in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 on, on marriage, on parenting, on work relationships, on the spiritual battle, all follow the first three chapters that talk about the doctrine of the church. We need the church for our marriages, for our parenting, for how we go about work relations, and that we will be victorious. So how healthy are we? Are we strengthening the body of Christ? You know, the church is important to God. Is it important to us? Obviously, we're here on a Sunday night. But let's never allow it to just be ritualistic. That we truly would say, as Timothy Dwight, the songwriter, president of Yale years ago, I love thy church, O God. That that really is our desire. And that we would strive to, to strengthen and build the body of Christ together. That, that we would be involved in building the spiritual body. And that we would be found faithful. That we have a mission ahead of us. And while the Lord tarries, we have responsibilities. Let us be found faithful doing our duty. And as Pastor Nathan challenged us this morning, if not now, when? See, now is the time for us to serve the Lord.